Right, good evening everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 137 uh, as we continue our uh, devastating quick run through the Council of Elrond. Um, we did, I think, two paragraphs last week, so that was good. Uh, and we'll see... Uh, uh, we'll see what we can do here this week. So, all right. Um, before we start, just a couple really quick announcements today. Just remember that uh, we're coming up on um, uh, we're coming up on uh, a month away from our summer semester. So we've got our, our summer courses, including our new Star Wars co uh, uh, class, which is a lot of fun. Um, uh, so, anyway, so that's. Um, uh, that's just get, keep that in mind. May 4th, uh, May the 4th is when our first uh, Star Wars class, the first session of our new Star Wars class with Amy Sturgis. Uh, so uh, I encourage you to look into that. Uh, lots of really great classes coming up this summer, uh, this summer semester. So uh, I encourage you to uh, to look at that. And of course, our quarantine special on Anytime Audits continues. Lots of people availing themselves of this. It's been really great uh, to see people uh, do lots of course auditing uh, during their extra home time here. Uh, I think that's a, a really fun way. Uh, fun and productive way to uh, uh, spend extra home time there. Uh, and so that that uh, continues. We'd love to make that available for people. So, okay. Uh, so that is... Uh, oh, yeah, the other thing, just to mention, I think I mentioned last week, uh, our new writer space at Mythgard. So uh, Sparrow Alden is hosting uh, a writer space, a creative writing uh, a sort of workshop time and, and uh, sort of open time for writers uh, to come in. She's got, you know, prompts and encouragement, and it's a great chance to, to come and, and, and join an active creative writing community uh, for, uh, for support and ideas and, and, uh, and, and encouragement. Uh, those have been really, really fun. They're being hosted here on our Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv slash signumu. Um, and the, those are, she, Sparrow is doing those now twice a week during, uh, during the, uh, isolation period, um, uh, on the weekends. So nine to 1030 AM on Saturday and six to 730 PM on Sunday on the, on the Signum Twitch channel. So that's 6 PM on Sunday evening and 9 AM on Saturday evening, both Eastern time, uh, zone, uh, American Eastern time zone. So, uh, if I uh, hope you can drop in on one of those if you are if you are a writer and interested in in kind of getting some more community here uh, and live contact with folks during this time. All right. Uh, let us. Uh, <laughs> let us head back. So I, I see Trifle was a little concerned that we went too far too fast. <laughs> Clearly, we need to go back to chapter two. Yeah, I know. I know. Everyone is still always going to be like, oh, the whirlwind pace of chapter one. We did miss a lot in chapter one. No question. We, I, and and I, I do think it would be totally appropriate for us to return and redo chapter one uh, at the end of our at the end of our time. But we will um, we will see. We will see. We will see what happens. Uh, OK, um, so I, I called. Uh, session tonight, A Tale of Two Heirs. Uh, of course, this is where we're going to really see uh, Boromir and uh, Aragorn kind of squaring off. And what I want to be, I, I want to be open-minded um, as we approach this conversation, th this exchange between Boromir and Aragorn, because one thing that I think, that I suspect we're going to find is that a, a lot of people read these very differently, right? I think a lot of 
this exchange is going to be impacted by the tone of voice that you hear them speaking in, right? Um, uh, you know, is... Uh, yeah, I, I think there, there are a lot of possibilities. And so I, I want to be thinking about that. I want to I, I want to try as much as we can to see what are the kinds of cues that we're getting from the... Can we sort out the cues that we're getting from the text? Any indicators that would seem to suggest... I don't know what is the uh, the best way, the right way. I always hesitate to use words like that, but um, based on the evidence, what seems to be? I mean, there are always going to be choices that we have to make, right? Um, there are always going to be interpretive choices that are up to us. Uh, but uh, but I'll just be interested to see um, what um, uh, what what we find. So that's going to be our primary topic here. Uh, tonight. Um, one uh, question from the uh, discussion board that I wanted to mention. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to, this was, uh, oh, I forgot to attribute it. My bad. Uh, this was from, what was her name? Jedi Master somebody or other. I'm totally blanking on that. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. Hang on. Hang on. I've still got the page right here. Jedi Master Tessa. That was it. Jedi Master Tessa. Sorry about that. I mean, I don't want to slight the Jedi Master. Hey, Tessa, there you are. Okay. All right. Excellent. Uh, so uh, Tessa's question was, why is Legolas introduced at the beginning of the Council of Elrond as a strange elf? We know that Tolkien doesn't use that word to mean bizarre or unusual. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think by saying he's a strange elf means that he's in some way a social deviant or, you know, like he's got his hair dyed purple or something like that. Not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm saying that kind of unusual, right? Strange in that way. Like, that elf is weird. Is I do not, I agree with you. I do not think that's what he means when he calls him a strange elf. Uh, does he ever use it to mean unfamiliar? Is it that nobody at the council has ever met Legolas before? If so, how would Frodo know that? Is it the usual meaning of foreign, i.e. Legolas isn't a native of Rivendell? Neither is Galdor, and he isn't strange. Is Legolas more foreign because he comes from over the mountains? The elves might see it that way, but I'm not convinced that the elves, the hobbits would, after Bilbo's interaction with the wood elves. Plus, we know that Legolas is of Sindarin descent, though Tolkien probably didn't at the time, so anything foreign about him would have to be cultural. Is it his clothes, which are mentioned? Is it the way he speaks? Is it something else? Uh, great question. So there are two things that I would, um, I would kind of, so Tessa, there, there are two different elements of this question that I would want to sort of tease out, right? First, there's the question of Legolas himself, right? What, wherein does his strangeness consist, right? Would be the one element of this question. The other is, as you've brought out, why is he called that by, in the narrative, right? Why does the narrator of this text, why does, you know, our, um, uh, our you know, whoever it was, probably Frodo, as we know Frodo wrote most of it, right? Um, why would Frodo call him a strange? Why would he use that adjective uh, in, in describing it? So let me, let me do those in that order. Um, as for strange, I think that he probably does stand out a bit. My suspicion is that there is a cultural distinction. He is the only wood elf present. And now I agree with you both about the fact that he is of Cinderin descent and about the fact that Tolkien probably didn't know that at the time, um, as he had not really developed uh, that element of the wood elves and the whole, you know, the story of... Um, 
you know, Thranduil and Orifer and how the Sindarin rulers came to be living among the Nandor up there in Mirkwood. That's a post Lord of the Rings development, really. Um, so anyhow, yeah, I, I, I think that that's, um, uh, that's one thing. Fourth Dauntless asks an interesting question. Could he be the only blonde elf in the room? Um, well, uh, yeah, and there's a Gorfindel, uh, who is famously, though, uh, puzzlingly blonde. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, there's, um, um, he's going to look different. So I, I assume that by strange, it just means he doesn't fit in. And I agree. I was going to mention that praise Moyer. It doesn't say what color his hair is ever. Does it say, uh, that his, uh, what color his hair is. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, um, but see though, that's the thing. Sorry. I can't quite read your Twitter tag there. Uh, in response to that Twitter comment I got, he's not the only one, uh, not from Rivendell as, uh, Tessa points out, Galdor isn't a native, isn't from Rivendell either. Um, he's from the Havens, but he's not called strange. It's not like, and there was a strange elf over there and a strange and a kind of a different way elf over there. But so, so, if we think about it from that level, if Galdor fits in, right, he's not called Strange, but Legolas is called Strange, what what that suggests to me, and yeah, so even like all of these things that you guys are saying about the standard hair color of different kinds of elves, post-Lord of the Rings. All of that is post-Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, so I, 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 I'm not saying it's irrelevant or like untrue or unimportant in, in any way. I'm just saying... It postdates the Lord of the Rings, uh, so I'm not gonna. Uh, th- there's a lot of stuff that Tolkien got into, um, like world building stuff that he got into in the last, you know, 20 years or so of his life, um, and a lot of the stuff that we know about Elvish culture really dates from that period because that kind of world building uh, is not really the kind of thing that he did when he was working on the Silmarillion material up until. He did the Lord of the Rings. That's one of those things that I see as an extended consequence of the marriage of the Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion that happened during the writing of the Lord of the Rings. Um, And speaking of my class on Morgoth's Ring, in which I've been expounding this theory and developing this as we've been looking at what happens when Tolkien returns to the Silmarillion. How is is life after Lord of the Rings? What does it do to the Silmarillion in Tolkien's mind? Wednesday evenings, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, our discussion of Morgoth's Ring. We're looking at exactly that. Uh, So we'll have class session number three of our Morgoth's Ring discussion as we continue discussing the annals of Amon um, in that section. But anyway, so I, uh, so I, my, the reason I mentioned about how post Lord of the Rings, all that stuff is, is that that that's not an explanation of this passage. It can't be an explanation of that passage because the, I, the, the ideas that Tolkien had about Elvish genetics and hair color are decades after he wrote the Lord of the Rings. So we can't use that as an explanation of this passage. If anything, if there's any kind of causality, it goes in the other way or it goes in the other direction, right? That many of the later ideas that Tolkien had about Elvish culture might be influenced as like explaining some of the references that happen earlier on in the stories, right? But you can't, you can't exactly turn it around and say, because of these things that he explains, this explains what was going on, uh, you know, this passage in the Lord of the Rings. It doesn't explain the passage in the Lord of the Rings. If anything, again, the passage of the Lord of the Rings led to it, right? Um, so anyway, that's why, that's why I'm, I'm kind of, uh, pushing that stuff aside for now. Um, uh, but anyway, okay. 
So how is there are there ways are there ways in which Legolas is strange would be perceived as strange uh, in any sense compared to the other elves? And, and I would say, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, I don't see any reason to think he wouldn't. Um, the wood elves we know are culturally different. That was established in The Hobbit. Right. Um, when uh, Bilbo first went to Mirkwood and met the wood elves, that they're not the same as the elves of Rivendell. In fact, you may remember that the passage in question, um, when the narrator, when the Hobbit narrator starts telling us about the wood elves and differentiating them uh, from the elves of Rivendell, is what leads to the whole that famous paragraph where Tolkien lets the whole uh, sort of Silmarillion backstory kind of peek in. Right. Uh, yeah, and it's I, I, I still maintain, you know, he's not integrating those worlds there in The Hobbit, um, but he's borrowing really heavily. Right. The idea of the three different kindreds of elves, the high elves and the deep elves and the uh, sea elves. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember the adjectives that he uses. No, wait, the light elves and the deep elves and the sea elves. Right. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember the terms that he uses in The Hobbit for uh, 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 for the three kindreds of the elves, how they went to live in fairy in the West, and some of them came back, and all that stuff. Um, so, um, anyway, yeah. So that's uh, um, uh, that's uh, uh, the point is this was all in the context of saying the elves of Mirkwood are different, culturally different. So, they're more dangerous and less wise. Exactly, Trifle. That's just the passage I'm talking about. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, exactly. Arden Crayon, the word rustic will be used in The Lord of the Rings to describe the wood elves compared to other elves. So, yes. So my suspicion is that. I think that he probably looks different, even strange. Strange in the sense of foreign. He looks like a foreign. He does not fit in. Among he's an elf. He's clearly an elf, right? Uh, Frodo can identify that. But around this table, or around this room, at least we don't know that they're sitting around a conference table. But around this room full of uh, full of elves, he stands out, and that's not hard to understand. Even his clothes could conceivably explain that. It doesn't have to be anything to do with his hair color or uh, anything else about him. I, I I think that he very likely looks very different. Whereas Galdor does not, right? Galdor fits in uh, at Rivendell in ways in which uh, Legolas does not. So I do think that that's one of the things, and this I think is important, important because, important because uh, this is our first introduction to Legolas, right? The very first thing we're told about Legolas. So Tessa, I'm really glad that you brought this up because um, it's important for us to bear in mind the adjective strange is literally the first thing we're ever told about Legolas. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't know anything about Legolas, right? Um, I, 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 until we're told a strange elf is our very first introduction to him, and so in some way, it's important for us. To, it's important. It's important for us to remember that in some way strangeness, not fitting in, not just being like one of the elves of Rivendell, differentiation from Glorfindel, from Elrond, right, even from people like Aristor and Galdor, is important to Legolas's, to the concept of the Legolas character as Tolkien conceives him and as he's presenting him to us, right? Legolas is not your 
normal elf, at least not what we've come to expect. And what have we come to expect so far? Whom have we met? We've met Gildor and Glorian, right? Of the house of Finrod. We've met Elrond. We've met Glorfindel, right? Those have been our primary elf contacts so far. And we meet another elf named Legolas. And the narrator goes out of his way with that. It's only the one word, but he goes out of his way to tell us he's not like them, right? Don't just pick... I've described Gorfindel. I've given you some idea of Gildor in Glorian. I've described Elrond. Um, don't think of Legolas like that, right? That's, uh, at the very least, that's one thing that the word strange accomplishes. Um, now, uh, the second thing that I would point out. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just saw Rhiannon's comment that maybe Legolas smells different. <laughs> yes, I'm sure he smells different. Uh, Rhiannon, of course, referring to the famous line uh, in The Hobbit where Bilbo comes to the edge of Rivendell and says, mm, it smells like elves. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Um, anyway, okay, so... Um, uh, yeah, exactly. V- Veronica, of course, points out his clothes are described. He's, he's, he's clad in green and brown. So, yeah, it, like rustic. Like, he looks like Robin Hood. The rest of the elves don't look like Robin Hood, right? The rest of the elves look like lords, and he looks like Robin Hood. At the very least, that's enough to explain that his... Like, it, it may refer nothing to nothing more than... His cl- the, the cut of his clothes, right? Um, but that by itself is enough to establish, okay, that elf stands out. There's something different about him, right? Um, the second, but on to the second point now, which is the significance of the fact that our narrator has mentioned this, right? And so this is to, Tessa, to your question about, um, uh, let me see where you say. Oh, right. Uh, if so, how would Frodo know that? Right. That uh, uh, if it's because nobody at the council's ever met him before, how would Frodo even know that? The second thing that I would. So the, the, the point that I would make about this second thing, this is an important reminder. I think it's really easy for us to get caught up in the narrative. Right. For us to be thinking about, um, uh, you know, thinking about these narrators as if, like, okay, so the narrator is describing this stuff as if he were there, right? Um, in as much as we are, you know, we're sort of imagining the Frodo as narrator frame uh, primarily, though, of course, with some interjections by Sam and uh, Findigil King's writer. Um, Frodo as narrator has inserted a kind of immediacy into the narrative, right? He is giving the impressions often the impressions of what it felt like to be there and helping us to experience what it felt like to be there, right? Um, This can lead us to make an error, a very, one of those errors that's like really obvious as soon as we realize we're making it, but it's super easy to fall into making. And that is, don't forget that this story is not written in the moment. Frodo's not sitting there in the Council of Elrond with a notebook, right? Writing in shorthand his narrative of what's going on. Um, he's reflecting on this a year and more later, right? Um, and then, of course, it's being translated and, and, and at least a little bit revised and everything in subsequent years by subsequent narrators reflecting on it from a greater distance, right? 
Um, we have to keep in mind that as as immediate as the narrative sound, it is not in fact. And sometimes we get reminders. Sometimes they're small reminders. And I think this might be a sort of a small reminder. Again, it could just be a description of his clothes, like he doesn't look the same as everybody else. Um, it is possible that that the narrator is also trying to suggest, yeah, like El- Legolas was a stranger to everybody else. Galdor, I mean, come on, like, you know, he doesn't live here, but, you know, he and these other elves are, you know, they're, they all, they're a part of the same club, right? They've obviously met before, uh, and, you know, they probably get together for golf every, you know, century or millennium or whatever, right? Um, but Elrond, or sorry, not Elrond, I keep saying that, but Legolas is unknown, right, to folks. Um, so it is possible that one of the things that the narrator means by strange when he refers to Legolas is that he's not he's not in the club, right? He's not he is not known to anybody here. He's a stranger, even among the rest of the elves at this council. So this is not just all the elves who already know each other and the couple others who don't, like the hot, like you know Frodo and um, Boromir, right? Um, so it is possible that he does mean that. How would he know that? Well, he knows that by the time he's writing it, right? Uh, and and he's not trying to deceive us, right? The narrator is not trying to, as 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 good of a job as the as the as the narrative does in bringing us into the immediate experience of the events. It's not trying to hide the fact that it was written later, right? Because the fact is that uh, there are. This is a, as I said, a small example, a small reminder that the narrative is, in fact, uh, not immediate, right? But we get big reminders, too. Um, The biggest reminder... I mean, the biggest reminders will include actual spoilers about how the story is going to come out, right? Um, Things which are manifestly, unapologetically, um, explicitly written from long after the events, right? As... For instance, when we're going to be told what will be carved on the t- on the gravestone of Snowmane the horse, right? I mean, that doesn't happen in the moment, right? Um, but we're going to be told what that is. And of course, in my mind, the very biggest example uh, of this is the song that is quoted as Theoden rides out from Dunharrow. Right. That moment, which is itself not like for those who are living it, not necessarily an obvious like and this is the turning point of the but like in retrospect, a famous song was written about this and we're given the famous song, which we are told was composed years later. Right. Um, So, yeah, you know, that's uh, again, there's so sometimes when the narrative gives us big, big reminders, this is all way after the fact this is being told after the fact, where at least a year or two after the fact, and some of it significantly longer, inserted significantly later than that, right? Um, so I, it's good to be reminded. And so sometimes I think things like this can also be um, a kind of um, a reminder of that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, Fourth Dauntless, I kind of, I really like that reading. Um, that is, Forthana says, with hindsight, Frodo does know that Legolas is the strange sort of elf who will uh, take up a friendship with a dwarf. Yeah, Forthana. Here's what I like about that. I like the idea that the word "strange" 
is very gently, very subtly, a kind of um, uh, a kind of hobbitry, right? Like Frodo as narrator is teasing Legolas by calling him that, right? Because he is strange in the sense that he's not known to anybody at Rivendell. He is strange in the sense that he looks different from everybody else. But he's also weird, right? Weird in a good way. Uh, I think the hobbits would agree, but he is not a normal elf in that way. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If uh, uh, Luke says, if, if, uh, if Findigil is writing this, think, think how funny that is. Yeah. Yeah. I can't see Findigil making that joke, you see, but I could easily see Frodo making it. Um, uh, say, you know, I, I could easily imagine Frodo or Sam calling Legolas a strange elf in a very uh, affectionate kind of way, right? Um, do I think he expected Legolas to read his book? Uh, well, no, but he'd know he'd be around to do it, right? Um, and I think that it needn't necessarily be an inside joke with Legolas himself, but he knows for a fact that Sam is going to read it, and I'm sure he assumes that Merry and Pippin are going to read it, and they'll get the joke, uh, if nothing else, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so that was quick. Back into the text. We had just gotten up to Aragorn's speech, right? We were we spent a, a good while talking about the Boromir's eyes glinting as he gazed at the golden thing, uh, with that uh, uh, marvelous and uh, I think plainly um, uh, uh, deliberate alliteration. Uh, there and the emphasis in that sentence uh, in, is then the doom of Minas Tirith come at last, but why then should we seek a broken sword? And we looked at the, the possible edges uh, of that question, of that sentence, um, as it seems to be in part a challenge to Aragorn. So how does Aragorn respond? The words were not the doom of Minas Tirith, said Aragorn, but doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. For the sword that was broken is the sword of Elendil, that broke beneath him when he fell. It has been treasured by his heirs, when all other heirlooms were lost. For it was spoken of old among us, that it should be made again when the ring, Isildur's bane, was found. Now you have seen the sword that you have sought. What would you ask? Do you wish for the house of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor? <sighs> what a big question. Now you have seen the sword that you have sought. What would you ask? Do you wish for the House of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor? Okay. Um, good. Trifle points out that um, Aragorn just declared himself Elendil's heir, not Isildur's. That's a, really imp that's a really interesting distinction, especially thinking back to what we were discussing about Elrond's introduction. Elrond's rather careful introduction, right, of, uh, of Aragorn. Um, but yeah, Arjun, this is a bombshell of a question, isn't it? Um, yeah, Mad Violinist says, okay, diplomat, now what do you do, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and now, JJ, I agree, this is kind of a big thing to just drop on Boromir all of a sudden. Um, I agree with that. This is uh, significant. Now, I don't think that we need necessarily view this as really aggressive, right? That is to say, it is heavy. That's a heavy question. 
But it could be worse. Or rather, if Aragorn were being belligerent or something, he could be far more direct, far more belligerent uh, than he is being here. Um, uh, He, do you wish for the House of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor? Um, You know, he could say something like, will you aid me or thwart me? Choose swiftly, (laughs) right? Which is what he's going to say to Amir eventually. Um, uh, But he doesn't, he doesn't do that, right? The, and, and the distinction I'm trying to make there is that notice that that question, weighted though it is, is in a sense impersonal. He, it, notice how that question contains no first-person pronoun is the thing that I'm emphasizing, right? Um, do you want me to come to Minas Tirith and claim the kingship, Boromir? Right? Um, in a sense, it... Uh, that sort of makes it, that would make it more kind of personal, right? What do you think of me, right? Or potentially, but it's not about that. Do you wish for the House of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor? And I agree, Brandon, it needn't be uh, a challenge. Uh, I, I, it's challenging, I think, in the, in the sense that it's, it's just certainly a testing question in some ways. Uh, or rather, Whatever his intentions, Aragorn's intentions, I mean, the answer is going to be revealing, right? It's going to tell us a lot that we didn't know about Boromir's point of view. Uh, but I agree that it's an honest question. He, I think he does want to know Aragorn. Um, yeah. Uh, Aragorn wants to be invited. Yeah, I bet he does want to be invited, Rowan. Um <laughs> yes, Arden Grant says, kneel before your king, peasant. You're right. See, he could be more aggressive, right? I'm, I'm glad to see you agree with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, Forthonless, exactly. As Boromir is the representative of the ruling stewards, this question is a very important one, right? Um, in some ways, it's almost... I. It would be easy to go too far with this question, but um, uh, or with this observation. But I was going to say, in some sense, it's almost more important than Denethor, um, in the sense that Boromir represents not just the stewardship, but the future of the stewardship. Right? Um, I, it, it's a different question with Denethor. I'm not trying to say with Denethor it's not an important question, but it's a different question with Denethor because uh, with Denethor it's in. Are you willing to step down from your current position of power? Uh, and with Boromir, it's the question of what do you want for the future of your city? Right? What do you want for the future of Gondor? Um, are you willing to... Would you like the House of Elendil back? Would you like to see the return of the king? Um Yeah, but Veronica, you're absolutely correct that Aragorn has to know that his welcome is at least in question, at least in question, uh, from the man who has every reason to believe he would rule Gondor someday. Absolutely. Again, he's the heir of the Lord of Minas Tirith, right? You've got the heir of Elendil talking to the heir of the Lord of Minas Tirith. It's a very important exchange in that way. Um, uh Yeah. Yeah, and J.J., I agree. It would be very 
kind to give Boromir some time to process everything he's heard, even just so far today, before making it a, de- a decision I agree. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, and, and oh, Tony, I'll just raise that point, uh, and then we'll, we'll go back a little bit. Um, uh, Tony says he's also holding the stewards to their spoken oaths to hold the, the throne until the king returns. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is another significance of this moment, right? Is him saying, it's on the line now, Boromir, right? You guys are the stewards, right? This is kind of the, are you willing to follow through on this whole stewardship deal, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Evil Dr. Cannon says, I wonder if he's probing Boromir since he can already guess Denethor's response to that question. <laughs> yeah, undoubtedly. Um Okay, so uh, let's go back to the beginning. We're starting at the end of his paragraph, which I don't think is appropriate. Uh, I want to, I want to, I want to see how he built because that's a big question. This is that's a huge rhetorical moment, right? So it's only fair to Aragorn to see how he builds up to it. The words were not the doom of Minas Tirith, said Aragorn, but doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. Notice that he. Uh, Right, he starts by correcting Boromir. And notice he corrects him twice, right? First, the words were not the doom of Minas Tirith. Um, the, the idea that Boromir has just said is then the doom of Minas Tirith come at last. He's pointing out, hang on now, you're extrapolating, right? Um, you, you're assuming that the doom alluded to, um, there shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, was the doom of Minas Tirith. is isn't just the doom. It's not Minas Tirith only that is facing doom. So first, he would seem to be correcting uh, Boromir's provincialism, right? But that's not all that he does, you notice? The words were not the doom of Minas Tirith, but doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. He then corrects or suggests that Boromir broaden his use of his his sense of the word doom, right? Yeah. Uh, or if not wrong meaning trifle, at least it doesn't only necessarily mean that, right? Um... Exactly, Simon. They are in the midst of the process of deeming a doom. The doom that is at hand, there shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, needn't be the final destruction of Minister Earth or anything else, right? But rather, the doom, right, that they have to deem. The judgment, the decision that they're going to be making. Um, and... Yeah, it's it's a you doom, <laughs> is it? Like you catastrophe, possibly, possibly. Um, so, therefore, I would say that we can see two things in this sort of the two levels of um, the two levels of correction that he gives to Boromir's interpretation contained in Boromir's question is then the doom of Minas Tirith come at last. Um, is first, not just Minas Tirith, which makes it sound worse, right? Oh, it's worse than that, Boromir. It's not just the doom of Minas Tirith. It's the doom of everything, potentially, right? Okay, so that's point A. But here's point B. 
it doesn't necessarily mean that kind of doom. So having first established that it's um, it, the the doom is not only the doom of Minas Tirith, he then gives some hope, right? Um, yeah, doom and great deeds. Matt says he reads this as an invitation uh, to the great warrior general to consider the greater deeds that he will yet perform. I agree. Um, is then the doom of Minas Tirith come at last? That easily could be step one towards despair, right? That's it. So yeah, this prophetic message that we received, turns out it was just warning us that the end is nigh, right? Well, okay. So I guess we all, let's go, let's all go and die in whatever way seems best to us. Would be one way, right? In theory of responding to that kind of a situation, right? Aragorn first says, okay, well, there's bad news and good news, right? The bad news is it's not just the doom of Minas Tirith, but the good news is it might not be that kind of doom, right? Or at the very least, even if it is, I don't think when he says, but doom and great deeds are indeed at hand, that at hand that it's entirely rejecting the idea that it's the kind of doom that he was talking, even if it is doom, right? Great deeds are at hand, even if doom does fall. Uh, so that's Okay, exactly, Tony, just what you were uh, just saying um, uh, just now. Um, uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, but, but again, I think there's also the call not only, um, not only to action, but to, to, to hope, right? And to, to recognizing this is not necessarily. So he's throwing him, I think... I don't know, potentially a kind of life preserver, right? In his interpretation of the poem. The poem doesn't mean we're doomed. It does not mean necessarily that the end is nigh, right? What it does mean is the hour has come, right? The hour in which um, uh, we, the councils that we are going to take that are stronger than Morgul spells, right? And that's a good thing. It's a significant thing, but it's it's definitely... Um, a good thing. Um, for the sword that was broken is the sword of Elendil. I want to focus on the word for, right? For is a conjunction, but it's a really interesting one. It suggests some kind of causal link, right? Doom and great deeds are indeed at hand for the sword that was broken is the sword of Elendil. How do we know that doom and great deeds are indeed at hand? What, you know, sort of justifies us in believing that doom... Uh, how can we be so sure that doom and great deeds are indeed... Well, I'll tell you. For the sword that was broken is the sword of Elendil. Um, here, of course, he's answering Boromir's second question. But why then should we seek a broken sword? For the sword that was broken is the sword of Elendil. Right, so he's answering the question, but again, sort of transitioning it into is the, the an answer, a reason for why he says that doom and great how he knows doom and great deeds are indeed at hand, right? For the sword that was broken is the sword of Elendil that broke beneath him when he fell. Now I've never th- thought about this before, but as I was reading this aloud this last time, just here in class tonight, um that sentence struck me in a way that it, I, I, I haven't really thought of before. Why does, why does he say that? 
I don't mean, well, I mean, obviously, giving the pedigree of the sword makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, and explaining that, that, you know, this is a Lendl sword. It's a big deal. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, why characterize the event that way? Why emphasize Elendil's death that broke beneath him when he fell? If I were going to allude to Narsil, to somebody like Boromir, I don't think I would say this is the sword that Elendil happened to be holding when he died. I think I would say this is the sword with which Elendil helped to overthrow Sauron, right? But notice he doesn't emphasize at all what he, he Elendil, accomplished or helped become. I mean, yeah, he did fall defeating Sauron, but that's exactly my point, Simon, right? He could emphasize either half of that statement. Elendil died, Elendil fell, and his sword was broken while he, while he was participating in the battle in which Sauron was overthrown, right? Which half of that sentence do you emphasize, right? Um, and, of course, it's the, it's the sword in its broken state that cut the ring from Sauron's hand, right? So there are lots of things that you could say. If you want to say, this is a big deal. This sword, huge deal. Its return, huge deal, right? Um, but he doesn't emphasize that. He emphasizes... Elendil's death, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe so. Maybe it is primarily about um, the... Uh, uh, maybe it is primarily about the sacrifice. Um, yeah, it does tell the story of the breaking of the sword. Well, Tillian, it does, but I'd say if that's his version of the story of the breaking of the sword, it's Barry in the lead, I mean, Lowry doesn't even say, like, with whom he was fighting. He doesn't even mention with whom he's fighting. I know. That's been established. It's not like he needs to provide that information. Elendil, or, or Elendil. Uh, no, Elendil's dead. Uh, Elrond already has, right? Um, but, uh, so it's not like that information needs to be conveyed or, you know, we need another set of, exp- you know, another chunk of exposition to explain it to us. Um, but, um, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I like this idea that, like, to to talk about Elendil's sacrifice. He died fighting Sauron, right? Remember, Elendil. Elendil never saw the defeat of Sauron. Elendil did not live to see Sauron overthrown. The victory of the Last Alliance was not in the end won by Elendil or by Gilgalad. Both of them were killed by Sauron. And had they not had other helpers, right, like Isildur, um, Sauron would presumably have won. Not in the way that is depicted in the beginning of the movie, right? Where uh, he just, you know, comes out and stomps everybody like bugs. Um, But still, like, Elendil was not, in fact, uh, victorious there. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so exactly. Nathan the Wrong says it well, uh, and that's the direction I think several people were pointing towards and that I was kind of coming around to as well, that Aragorn is emphasizing that their hopeful coming victory might be for those who come after, not for themselves, right? Exactly, Nathan. If we, again, if we follow back backwards through that conjunction, through that four, remember, four is a conjunction, um, meaning it's, I emphasize that because, of course, the job of a conjunction is to join together two different things, right? Usually two, uh, two nouns or uh, two phrases or two clauses. Um, when you start a sentence with a conjunction, like, you know, your elementary school teachers probably told you never to do, um, what you're doing is putting that link backwards, right? Hanging there at the beginning of the sentence. So what is the for connecting, right? Um it is connecting the sword that was broken is the sword of Elendil that broke beneath him when he fell to doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. Right? So, yeah, I like the idea that Aragorn is, having just said doom and great deeds are indeed at hand, and he then immediately talks about the death of Elendil, that Elendil was killed, by Sauron, but he did, wasn't just like a, a casualty of Sauron, right? He died in the defeat of Sauron. As part of the final battle in which Sauron was overthrown, Elendil gave his life, right? And Narsil, he connects Narsil with that act, with the heroic <clears throat> you know, attack of Elendil upon um, Sauron, uh, you know, that is the, the whole War of the Last Alliance, but also with his death, with his, with his sacrifice. Um, exactly. It is a very doom and great deeds kind of vibe, isn't it, uh, that, he, that he raises here. Notice also that he's not... Yeah, Belongsmond is recalling, it is a sad tale, as are all the tales of Middle-earth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, notice one of the effects of all this, right? What's he promising? Boromir. Boromir's been sent to seek the sword that was broken. What's he getting with the sword that was broken? Well, Boromir seems to be going out of his way not to say you're getting the weapon that is certainly going to turn the tide of the war. You are getting you know uh, the heir of, of Elendil suddenly emerging who is going to like he's not promising things are going to turn out well he's explicitly not promising that things are going to turn out well or maybe maybe they could turn out as well as they did for elendil right which in the end was a victory a very very great victory though elendil didn't survive it right um exactly sauron was overthrown because some great leaders died for it. And you notice, Enoch, the other thing there, right? Some great leaders, also Gilgalad. Is this a sense in which he's also kind of reaching out to Boromir? Elendil, of course, most famous for the last alliance, like let's work together. Um, Doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. Um, Maybe, maybe... Boromir, maybe you and I will both fight and die together on the slopes of Mount Doom, like Gilgalad and Elendil did. 
but you know um uh but it was worth it right it was worth it um anyway yeah yeah i think that his encouragement here is Nathan blended with an an immeasurable sorrow from which its beauty chiefly came. Um, Part of this, I do think, is is Aragorn not over-promising, right, to Boromir. Um, He's not making any grandiose claims about what he can do, about the impact that he and this sword are going to have, right? Um, But he is recalling what Elendil did and what Elendil... But he's also... He's more explicitly recalling the cost, the price that Oendil paid, right? Um, <laughs> Evil Dr. Cannon says Gorfindel is probably sitting in the corner thinking that you can always just come back if your sacrifice is, is awesome enough. <laughs> yeah, true. True, yes, exactly. Evil Dr. Cannon, there's one person in the room uh, who is thinking, uh, yep, ah, noble sacrificing of one's life uh, to spare one's comrades, right? Been there, done that, right? Yeah, it's worth it, guys. I can tell you from firsthand experience. Um, yeah, exactly. Soon Gandalf will join that uh, that uh, that particular Facebook group too. Um, anyway, okay. Um, let's keep going. It has been treasured by his heirs when all other heirlooms were lost, for it was spoken of old among us that it should be made again when the ring Isildur's bane was found. Um, so what's, um, what is he doing in this sentence? He is establishing his, again, you know, he's alluding to his lineage, which Elrond has already vouched for, right? Um, he is as, and I'm sorry, I've already forgotten who it was, um, uh, pointed out, he is emphasizing his connection to Elendil, not only to Isildur as, uh, you know, and we talked about the sort of the tact and diplomacy involved in Elrond's introduction, right? He's going straight, he, Aragorn, is going straight to Elendil, right? As is his Elendil sword, right? Um, uh, that broke beneath him when he fell. It has been treasured by his heirs when all other heirlooms were lost, for it was spoken of old among us that he should have, that it should be made again when the ring Isildur's bane was found. Notice the other thing that he's doing here. Um, yeah, hang on. Trifle, I'll come back to your point in a second, but I don't want to lose the thread of the sentence here. Um, it was spoken of old among us that it should be made again when the ring Isildur's bane was found. He is glossing the poem for Boromir, right? Seek for the sword that was broken, in Imladris it dwells. There shall be counsels taken stronger than Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for Isildur's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. Right? There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand. Um, Aragorn has his interpretation of that line ready to hand. Right? Doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for Isildur's bane shall waken. Right? Um, absolutely. You see that, right? Isildur's bane has woken, and he says, I'll tell you what that means. It has long been said, right? It was spoken of old among us that it should be made again when the ring Isildur's bane was found. 
when the ring awakens, when the halfling stands forth and presents the ring, when that just happened, that is the signal that has been foretold of old among the Dunedain of the North. Elendil's sword shall be reforged. Um, so that's a big deal, right? Um, that's, uh, uh, one way again of thinking about this is Aragorn explaining to Boromir, answering your question, why should we seek a broken sword, right? Why is the only command, the only imperative mood sentence in the prophecy, seek for the sword that was broken. This is why, Boromir. That's what the token means. That's what it means that doom is near at hand, right? Doom and great deeds are indeed near at hand because Isildur's bane is awake, and that means it's time to reforge the sword that was broken. The moment has come. Yeah, Tony says this is the first time uh, since Isildur uh, that the ring and the sword have been in the same place. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, you're right. Uh, uh, Malayowin, uh points out, of course, since the common room in, at Bree, the sword and the, and the ring have been in the same place. Exactly. But this broadly understood, this moment here uh, in uh, the Fellowship of the Ring and no, at no previous point in history. Um yeah, yeah. Um, interesting, Mike. Mike is pointing out that, of course, on reflection, the first line of the poem says, seek for the sword that was broken. Not seek for the sword that is broken. The two things that I would say about that, Mike, the difference between the sword that was broken and the sword that is broken is that one is referring to a historical event. Right, not this is not just a random broken sword. This is the sword that the sword, capital S, that was broken at a particular and important moment. Right, um, and so that's one thing. But I do like that second sort of layer of things, right? Because the state of being broken of this sword is not yet in the past tense, right? But it's uh, it's rapidly approaching that, right? Um, uh, it, it is no longer going to be a fair description uh, of uh, this sword in uh, just a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, okay, let's see. Um, let's see. Probably the first time they've both been in the open since Isildur cut the ring off. That's true, Frumius Bujum. Yeah. Um, yeah, even in... Even in uh, the in it Bree, they did they weren't formally introduced, right, to each other. Um Okay. Um <laughs> Exactly, Mad Violinist. In the Inn and Bree, uh the halfling fourth did fall, which is not the same thing at all. Uh you can tell that it hadn't uh, um it hadn't it hadn't been the prophecy hadn't been completed yet. Uh absolutely. Um Now you have seen the sword that you have sought. What would you ask? Okay, so now we are transitioning into his big final statement. Do you wish for the House of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor? Um, okay, 
I don't want to skip over that penultimate sentence, though. Now you have seen the sword that you have sought. What would you ask? What a fascinating question that is, right? Um, you have sought, you obeyed this prophecy, and you have sought for Imladris, presumably seeking the sword that was broken, as the verse instructed you to do. You have found it. I have just explained to you the significance of that in several ways. The historical significance of the sword that was broken, the future significance of it, right? It is the sword of the heir of Elendil. Would you like the heir of Elendil to come to Gondor? Is that what you would like? And also, doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. That's what the whole business about the token and the doom means, Boromir. So, having received this explanation, Boromir, uh, having uh, gotten the interpretation of these hard words, what would you ask? What would you ask is... Uh, um, I think a fascinating question. He doesn't say, what do you want? He says... What would you ask? As if Boromir is the one who should be making a request. <laughs> yeah, Simon says, okay, that's one riddle explained. What else can we do for you today, Boromir? Um, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. Do you wish for the House of Elendil? to return to the land of Gondor. Notice also that there's, you know, I've been saying he's not nearly as aggressive as he could be in that last question. Um, not only does he not allude, it, well, this is another way of talking about him not alluding to himself. Um, notice what he doesn't, there's a conspicuous noun he does not use in that question, and that is king, Right? He does not say, do you wish for the king to return to Gondor? Would you have a king in Gondor again, wielding the sword of Elendil? Um, that is kind of contained there, right? He's plainly, I think, implying that, but I think it's important that he is not saying that. Is he putting him on the spot? Yeah, no question. In some ways, he's definitely putting him on the spot. But in some ways, he's not. Not nearly as much as he could be. Do you wish for the House of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor? And then we see what happens. Right? Um, but I do also think that... I think we would be rash to assume that Aragorn's purpose is to claim the kingship. Right? I don't think we can assume that that's in what's what's Aragorn's purpose? What is the hour? Doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. What does the reforging of the sword of Elendil mean to Aragorn? I don't think it means time to inherit, right? Time for me to go claim my rights. 
right? It doesn't mean that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, I wish, I wish I could see your... The, man, the font on the Twitter thing is not only 90 degrees turn, it's like two-point font. I can't even read it. I apologize. Uh, but I like that point. To Mary Arwen. Uh, that's what he's primarily thinking of, right? Um, exactly. Even like Dr. Cannon was saying the same thing. He's thinking of marriage. Um, yeah, he's... So is he interested in, uh, you know, the kingship? Sure. But that's not, I think, his primary focus at all, right? I do not think that Aragorn is thinking of his rights, at all. I think that he is the doom that is at hand, right? The great deeds that are at hand. He is the enemy of Sauron. Um, now is the moment when the heir of Elendil should come forth. Um, but he is not going to march to Minas Tirith and claim the kingship. I don't think that's the plan. I think we're going to see that that's not the plan when he has the chance. I mean, there could no, there could not possibly be a more favorable opportunity for him to claim the kingship than the one that he's going to get eventually down the road, right? Not only uh, is he like the hero who arrives out of no- having already liberated half the kingdom, right? So being already embraced as this miraculous supernatural king figure who came out of nowhere and saved everybody down in Pelargir, uh, but then came and saved everybody again at the Battle of Pelennor Field, and the current Lord of Minas Tirith is conveniently dead, right? There isn't even... There's a complete vacancy, right? So never could the uh, conditions for claiming the kingship of Gondor have got, have been more smooth and easy than in the aftermath of the Battle of Pelennor Field, but we know Aragorn's not going to claim it even then, right? Not until the business is done. Um, so, yeah, he, want, he wants to be asked. Aronos White is who you think he's like Aslan in that way. Um, yeah, he does like to be asked. Um, I do agree with folks who have been saying that do you wish for the House of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor is an honest question. What is Boromir going to think about this? Um, this? He's told Boromir this is what the poem meant. You were sent to find the sword that was broken. This is the sword. This is the significance of the sword. This sword is be- the sword. It's the sword of Elendil. And P.S. It's being reforged as was foretold of old. And I am the wielder of that sword because I am the heir of Elendil. Now, how does that make you feel, Boromir? <laughs> what do you want? Do you would you will you accept me? Will you embrace me? Not as king. Again, has anyone said the K word? I don't think anybody has said the K word, right? Um. All he's saying is, do you want us to return? Do you want me to return? The house of Elendil to return to Gondor. So he's not ducking the issue at all. This is a decision Boromir needs to make, and he needs Boromir to make this, right? He needs to know what he's going to be facing. But he is not... But he's being, I think, very tactful. Yeah, Arnaz, it does turn out that the sword comes with wielder included, right? Absolutely. Um, okay. Trifle, let me come back to your observation before. 
It has been treasured by his heirs when all other heirlooms were lost. Except for all those other heirlooms, right, that weren't lost. Uh, you know, uh, there's the Scepter of Anuminus. Okay, but, you know, that wasn't exactly the same. And, you know, Elrond's been hanging on to that. Okay, so that doesn't count. Um, there's um, the Ring of Bari here. Well, okay. Um, this is one of those questions that I think you have to... Yeah, Jesse, exactly. Or Jess. Um, uh, I see. Uh, Jess, in uh, Discord, when you get the... You, welcome, Jess, by the way. Um, uh when when in, when you get to use capital letters in Discord, I now see. I I I, th- I saw you in uh, the Twitch chat. And I thought it was like Jesse apostrophe s, like the gaming of Jesse. Uh, but no, Jesse is gaming. I see. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, ring a bar here. You are getting that right. Yes, it is still around. Um, uh, okay. Um. There are tech. Aragorn could get off on some technicalities here. <clears throat> yes, Angris, that's one of them. You could say, well, the Ring of Bar here is not technically an heirloom of the House of Elendil because it's not an Elendil thing exactly. I you could you could probably get off on that. Uh, I mean, like you know, get off the charge of uh, uh, an incorrect statement, right? I mean, if somebody tried to call Aragorn on this, right, and he had to lawyer his way out of that sentence, he could get out of it. You know, that way. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's true. Narsal didn't first belong to Elendo either. Um, yeah, Nathan, that's the other issue here. So there, there are really two things here. Um, as with a lot of Lord of the Rings questions... There are que- there there's like the inside answer and the outside answer. That is, there's the question from if you just think about like the canonical world of you know Tolkien's published works, how would we answer the question from inside that framework? And there, I think we would have to appeal to some kind of uh, technicality, like Angrist is suggesting, essentially to say it is not an heirloom of the House of Elendo. Exactly. It's a far older heirloom, uh, which long predates the House of Elendil, which has been in the keeping of the House of Elendil, but I'm not going to mention that right now, right? Um, the Palantiri, of course, are also heirlooms of the House of Elendil. Uh, that is also true. Um, uh, but they were not, you know, treasured by his heirs when all other heirlooms were lost, either. Uh, um, yes, the Elendilmere is a pretty big deal. Uh, also... And but the original Elendilmere was lost technically, but then it kind of wasn't lost, and then it was re-lost, and then it was decided that it was actually lost, and it was just the, anyway. Um, here's the there's the answer from the outside of this as well, right? Which is sorry the the Elendilmere that's the um, the star uh, that uh, is uh, bound on uh, uh, on on the brow. Um. Okay, so, um, yeah, 
Uh, oh yeah, and uh, Maelstrom, the um, Pippin and the Scepter of Anuminus in Rivendell is got to be one of my favorite quest lines in all of Lotro. Actually, just love that. Absolutely love that to death. Um, uh, okay, for those of you who um, uh, who don't play Lotro. Um, there's this one quest line when you're in Rivendell where you're supposed to go talk to Pippin and it turns out he's borrowed the scepter of Anuminus to use as a, he was looking for a walking stick uh, to go walking with and he borrowed the scepter of Anuminus uh, to, to go walking with. Um, I, I, I find that whole quest line entirely delightful. Um, but anyway, um, I, yeah, so uh, anyway, um, okay. There's one simplest um, uh, explanation to this sentence, and that is the other heirlooms weren't around when Tolkien wrote that sentence. There's a there is a definite proliferation of artifacts um, uh, in uh, in in Tolkien's world as he moves forward. Um, and I think especially as he goes back and wants to um, uh, wants to deepen the connections between the Lord of the Rings and the ancient histories, the legendarium that came before, um, he he keeps making more and more connections. The idea of the Ring of Barahir, its survival um, that Aragorn is wearing, the Ring of Barahir from the Silmarillion, that's a late concept. Um, Exactly. Arvegui has the Ring of Barahir and gave it to the snowmen of Forakel as a ransom for their assistance. And when was that written? After the narrative. Certainly after the first drafts of the Council of Elrond. Um, yeah, it's in the appendix. And a lot of the appendix stuff is late, right? So yes, that is how... So he includes that bit in the story of Arvegui in order to explain how it could be, right? Um, but, uh, but yeah, exactly. It, by, the Ring of Barahir connects him with Beren. Right, uh, Aragorn explicitly. So yes, those kinds of ties. Tolkien loves those kinds of ties. Um, so um, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I I think that one answer is that I, I do think that the leaving in of this sentence was in some ways a mistake. Now, Tolkien was very big on attention to detail. I am not going to say that I am convinced that this sentence just slipped by him. I don't think it slipped by him. He revised and revised and revised this text between when it was finished and when it finally went out for publication. Um, I think if he left this sentence in, he left it in for a reason. Uh, he had plenty of opportunities uh, to, you know, like change it and be like, it was. it has been treasured by his heirs when... The vast majority of other heirlooms were lost, right? He could have, he could have made some, uh, made some changes, uh, but he, um, he didn't do that, right? And so, therefore, again, I assume that there was a reason he was okay with leaving this sentence in, um, and uh, I think that. It comes back to something like the tech, but not just a technicality, right? Um, the Ring of Bari here. If you asked Aragorn, like if you were just to walk up to Aragorn one day and say, hey, um, 
do you have any heirlooms of the House of Elendil? What would he say? He'd be like, yeah, dude, got this broken sword, right? And then it's like, he would have said a month ago, right? Yeah, got this broken sword. And if you said, do you have any other heirlooms of the House of Elendil? He would be like, nope, I got some other awesome stuff, right? But uh, no, no other heirlooms of the House of Elendil. Yeah, I've got this ring. Holy cow. But let me tell you about this ring. This ring is way bigger than the heirloom of the House of Elendil, right? The House, the house of Elendil is a flash in the pan compared to the Ring of Barahir. Seriously, right? I mean, the Ring of Barahir has been around for a long time. Yes, Narsil has been around for a long time, too. Granted, right? Um, but the Sword of Elendil has been linked to, is, is, is very firmly now in the category of Heirloom of the House of Elendil because of the whole it broke beneath him when he fell thing, right? Um, Elendil has, like, from a historical standpoint, sort of laid his claim on Narsil. It is now, this is the Sword of Elendil, no question. That is what that sword means. It's not what the ring means, right? The ring doesn't mean um, that uh, uh, doesn't mean that uh, that he's you know the heir of the of Elendo, right? Um, so <laughs> Lincoln says, "You break it, you bought it." Yeah, exactly. There you go. See, it's it's. <laughs> It's a Lendil sword now, because he broke it. <laughs> exactly, Lincoln. That's just it. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, at Merlinus, the Ring of Bari here is older than Elrond. I mean, way older than Elrond, actually. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um yeah. Um, exactly. So, yeah, it's a huge deal. Huge deal. Um, I know. I know. So is Narsal, too. But again, we've, est- we, 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 we've established that in the uh, you break it, you bought it uh, 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 principle. I, I, that's, I, I'm totally convinced by that. Um, yeah, good. Okay. Um, so I, it works inside. Certainly in this... Can I understand why Tolkien did not change this sentence in the context of this paragraph? Absolutely. Right? Everyone's not going to water down this statement. He's not going to say, it has been treasured by his heirs when almost all of the heirlooms uh, uh, have been lost. Almost all other heirlooms have been lost, right? I mean, then Boromir, uh, and not to mention the readers, are going to be like, hey, wait, which other heirlooms are you talking about, man? And then Aragorn to be like, that's not important right now, right? No, like, you're going to maintain the emphasis on the sword. So it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> right. When a number of other heirlooms were lost, but by no means all. <laughs> exactly, JJ. I mean, talk about really sapping the rhetorical effectiveness of the moment, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, e- exactly. It's just rhetoric, Nathan. That's 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 exactly what I would emphasize uh with this as well um okay i have an idea new slide let's keep going boromir's answer to the question would you have the house of elrond 
Elrond. A Valendil. Return uh, to a house of Elrond is coming to Minas Tirith, too, if you know what I mean. Um, but, um, okay. I was not sent to beg any boon, but to seek only the meaning of a riddle, answered Boromir proudly. Yet we are hard-pressed, and the sword of Elendil would be a help beyond our hope, if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past. He looked again at Aragorn, and doubt was in his eyes. Okay, we'll come back to uh, Bilbo's response to this in a moment. Um, What would you ask? Remember? What would you ask? Do you wish for the House of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor? I was not sent to beg any boon, is the response. I have not come here asking for anything. I, But to seek only the meaning of a riddle. Um... Yeah, Fort Thoughtless says, I think this is where I first started to dislike Boromir. Um, yeah. Though, I think I agree with you, Karita. Um, this is a pretty good answer, all things considered. Look, one thing that it shows is that Boromir is way too good a, a diplomat, way too good a diplomat, to say, uh... Yes or no, right? What does he do? He's like, I decline to answer that question at, the, at this time, right? I have no comment on that subject is exactly what he says, right? Um, well, he says a little more than that, though, doesn't he? I was not sent to beg any boon, but to seek only the meaning of a riddle. Um, yeah, good. Uh, Tony uh, and Tilly and I agree with you both. The words beg and proudly do stand out, right? Boromir is a little bit on his dignity here, right? Um, I'm not asking for the House of Elendil to come back to Gondor. He has not said he's unwilling to see it happen, right? But he didn't come here to beg. I didn't come here for aid. Except remember... He does imply that he had... So, I mean, again, going... uh, Let me... Let me... I put the other things at the end. Let me go back a second here. If we go back a few slides... um, Give me leave, Master Elrond. Uh, Where are we? Um, There we go. In this evil hour, I have come on an errand over many dangerous leagues to Elrond. A hundred and ten days I have journeyed all alone, but I do not seek allies in war. The might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons, it is said. I come to ask for counsel and the unraveling of hard words. Four on the eve of the sudden assault. Right, so... uh, In his defense, he did in fact say that before... He's not just changing his story here. Right. Um, that is precisely what he said earlier on, that he 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 knows that the might of Elrond is in wisdom, not in weapons. He did not come seeking allies, <laughs> though evil Dr. Cannon is 
it is, I think, a little bit fair to say I didn't come here to ask for aid, just to whine about no one giving it to us. <laughs> okay, right. I hear that. I hear that. Um, uh, <laughs> yes, Arden Crayon adds, but if you do have any spare military aid lying around, I could haul it away for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, Tony, you are right. He has gotten what he came for, right? He's gotten wisdom, the unraveling of hard words. Um, Aragorn is asking for what he wants on top of those. And he says, proudly, admittedly proudly, right? He says, I was not sent to seek, to beg any boon, but to seek only the meaning of a riddle. I'm not going to ask. And so, but Brandon, you're completely right. Um, Boromir simply cannot say, yes, I would have the heir of Elendil come to my city without consultation of the current leader of Gondor. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that that's treason, Brandon, but it's, it would, I mean, it's above his pay grade, right? It is above his pay grade for, and he has spoken as an ambassador of Gondor. Right. The, the, you know, for verily from the land of Gondor, I am come. Um, we looked at how his rhetoric, especially at the front end of his speech, positioned him as a spokesperson. He doesn't speak um, as the king, right, as a ruler, but he is speaking on behalf of Gondor. And yeah, he can't answer that question. Um, he can't possibly answer that question uh, about... Um, he can't deliver that um, that invitation. Exactly, Merlinus. I need to ask Dad if you can come over. Is precisely what he would have to say, uh, technically. Um, yes, I am not authorized by the steward to enter into such an agreement at this time. Um, yes, exactly. Um, but, Trifle, I think you're not wrong there. Trifle says that the phrase beg any boon is a very clear indication that he feels like Aragorn's question lessens him and his position, puts him into the position of a beggar. And not just beg, but boon. What's a boon? Can somebody tell me the connotations of the word boon? What is a boon? Yeah, uh, a gift, it is a gift, but it is always a gift from the great to the lesser. Always. You don't give, you don't give, like, you know, a birthday present from a friend isn't a boon, right? Um, it is, a, yes, it is a favor of, of condescension, Absolutely. Absolutely. Condescension in the, in its, its, its literal and classical sense. Um, kings grant boons, right? Here is a thing, a gift, a favor I am going to do for you, and there is no compunction, I mean, there's no call upon me, there's no compulsion upon me to do it. I could opt not to do, but I'm going to optionally, out of the goodness of my heart, grant you this favor or gift, right? That's what a boon is. Right. So beg and boon go together and not only alliteratively um, for Boromir here. Right. Yes, Nathan, exactly. Both of them, Boromir and 
uh, Aragorn are tiptoeing around the word king. Nobody's saying the K word, right? And yet the use of the word boon seems to me to imply that it is in Aragorn's mind, it's in Boromir's mind, just as I think it's in Aragorn's mind. But both of them are avoiding it, though perhaps not for exactly the same reason, right? Yeah, Veronica says Boromir realizes uh, in the moment that Aragorn outranks him and he resents it, right? Or like he's, what would you ask? That's another thing. You often ask a king for a boon. You beg for boons, right? You ask, you, you can request a boon. The king can say yes or no, right? It's up to him. Um, but, uh, but you do often beg it, ask it, right? Not claim it. You can't claim a boon, right? You can't uh, demand a boon. I mean, you could demand a boon, but that'd be pretty stupid. Um, I, but... Um, Yeah. So anyway, he, um, I was not sent to beg any boon. What would you ask? Aragorn says. And Boromir responds saying, I'm not asking. I'm not asking you. I'm not treating you. We're not going there. Right. I'm not going to come to you like a beggar with my hat in hand saying, oh, my liege, grant us aid. Right. You don't have to. Uh, but if you would be so good as to bestow your assistance and presence, your august presence upon Gondor, right? Um, yeah, he's not doing that. He's not going there. Yeah, Trifle says Barmir is implicitly rejecting Aragorn's authority with that word choice. I hear you, Trifle. I'm not sure I'd go quite so far as reject. That's a, that's a strong word. It's a very strong word. Um, and I'm not sure I'd I necessarily buy that it's a rejection. That seems a little wholesale for me, right? Um, but he's certainly resistant, right? Um, you know, you could paraphrase perhaps this as saying, you know, I'm not saying no. What I'm saying is not on the first date, you know, uh, like uh, I... Um, I don't think he's rejecting in that way. I think he's saying um, he's clearly skeptical, right? He's reserving judgment for sure. Um, uh, the thing that we have to balance, uh, and, and, and again, I totally agree, um, the beg and boon and proudly, right? And I would add the word only, Right? Um, like he's, again, he's sort of on his dignity there. Um, uh, the other, um, the other thing that I would emphasize, the thing that's, Im that, that, that's important here is his statement isn't done. He too can begin a clause with a conjunction, right? Not for this time, but yet. Yet we are hard pressed. And the Sword of Elendil would be a help beyond our hope, if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past. Yet we are hard-pressed, and the Sword of Elendil would be a help beyond our hope. I was not sent to begging any boon, yet we are hard-pressed. I'm not begging. I'm not asking. But, uh, evil Dr. Cannon, as you said, I'm not asking for a boon. But I'll take it. 
I'll take it. Um, and then he does add, yes, Tony, I like that paraphrase, if you can deliver, which I doubt. Yes. Okay, so... Hang on. There are three parts to Boromir's response, right? Part one, on my dignity, I'm not, I'm not answering your question. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not going to beg a boon. We're not going there. Part one. Part two, but we need help. And I'm not going to say no. If you come, I'm not saying no. There is an implicit yes in that second half of the statement. He's not going to give an answer. He's not going to commit himself. Well, Denethor, your son said I could come. He said he would welcome the House of Elendil returning to get ministry. No way, man. Barmir's not going to go on record with that. But he is answering the question. Would you have the House of Elendil return to the land of Gondor? We are hard-pressed, and the Sword of Elendil would be a help beyond our hope. That means yes. Yes. A help beyond our hope is what the return of the House of Elendil, or at least the return of the Sword of Elendil, right? Uh, uh, we're looking for the business end of the House of Elendil to return, right? I'm, we're not talking politics here. And if politics is what you're about, well, I'm not into that, right? And it's not what matters. But um, you, the Sword of Elendil... You're going to come down and help us in our wars with the sword of Elendo? I mean, hey, yeah, yeah, two thumbs up there, right? I am definitely not going to say no bearer optional, says Vorthalus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, uh, yes, yes, exactly. So we are hard-pressed, and the sword of Elendo would be a help beyond our hope. That's a, that's a, That's an emotionally weighted statement that he makes here, right? We are hard-pressed, and the Sword of Elendil would be a help beyond our hope. So, no, but yes, if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past. So you get the first half, in which he's on his dignity, and neither confirming nor denying what Aragorn has said, and then the second half, where he says, but if you can help, come. It would be a help beyond our hope. And then the third part, but I'm reserving judgment. If such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past. Now, I agree that it's, that's a little bit rude, but I don't think it's necessarily that rude. So, okay, if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past, it is possible to read that statement as a questioning of their honesty. And I have to say there, because it would not only be Aragorn's honesty, uh, like that is if you're legit, right? Um, it wouldn't just be Aragorn's, it would be Elrond's honesty that he would be questioning by saying that, right? You've said it, Elrond has said it, that you're the heir of Elendil. Well, I'll believe that when it's proven to me, right? That would be rude. He would be calling both Aragorn and Elrond a liar. I don't think he's doing that. I don't think that that's what that means. When he Notice again, he doesn't say, he doesn't say if it is indeed true, right? What he says is, if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past, right? Can the, 
you've suggested that doom and great deeds are at hand, that the heroic and self-sacrificing figure of Elendil that you alluded to, who participated in the downfall, the the overthrow, downthrow, which was just not the right word, combination of two words, uh, the downfall, the overthrow of Sauron, um, you've suggested that this is going to be the sequel to that. Right. This is part two. That's what the that's what the token that will be shown at Imladris, according to the hard words. Right. That's what that means. Right. Um, And. uh, um, And he says. I'm doubtful. Maybe. If such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past, he's not casting doubt on the past on his heritage, on his claims, what he's casting doubt on is the future. Right? Um, Yeah, Lincoln, that's another really good paraphrase. Not saying you wouldn't, just not sure you can. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, uh, you're you're a Lendl part two? Huh? Right? For real? Dude? He looked again at Aragorn, and doubt was in his eyes. Again, I think not necessarily doubt that he is what he says he is, but doubt that he can live up to what he says he is. Right? Okay, so some schmo out of the north, right? Some ranger in the wilderness. So he's the, son, the heir of Elendil. Great. Okay, so there's this dude up in the north, who has some very distant genetic connection with Elendil and Isildur. Oh, and he has the shards, the broken sword of Elendil. Think about that. First, I mean, what does that mean to Boromir? Is it a sign? Is it a, a, a token that doom and great deeds are indeed at hand? Yeah, sure, it is. Or it might be, Right. But what does that say about Aragorn? What does it prove about what Aragorn will do, will be able to do, right? Boromir has lots of reasons to be doubtful. He doesn't have to question the truth of anything that they've said in order for him to be uncertain, right, of the significance of the event, right? Okay, great. Well, now we've got this one random schmo coming out of the wilderness from the north. We're saved! Okay, great. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to tell Dad that, right? Everyone will be... um, Everyone will be uh, delighted about that. Um, Brandon, I saw your comment that uh, it is interesting that Boromir used the word shadow, uses the word shadows, um, not sort of like just to allude to the shadows of Mordor, right? To the shadows of Sauron. Um, I too find that interesting that he uses the shadows of the past in a sort of a positive context, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Anyway, um, okay. Boromir felt Bilbo stir impatiently, or sorry, Frodo felt Bilbo stir impatiently at his side. 
Evidently, he was annoyed on his friend's behalf. Suddenly, standing suddenly up, he burst out. Not all that is gold, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. There I've said it. <laughs> right? And you're right, somebody was pointing out before, there is somebody in the room who is perfectly willing to drop the K-bomb. Right? And it's Bilbo. Right? I'll go there. Right? The crownless again shall be king. Not very good, perhaps, but to the point. If you need more beyond the word of Elrond, if that was worth a journey of a hundred and ten days to hear, you had best listen to it. He sat down with a snort. <laughs> His snort is my favorite part of the whole thing. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, here he is, Belongsman, showing cheek again. Uh, I think um, uh, Aragorn was foolish to question uh, Bilbo's level of cheek, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, JJ says he sounds like he's addressing a young hobbit offering him sauce. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um Here's what I want to do. We've already talked about this poem. I promise I'm not going to spend three sessions discussing this poem uh, because we've already talked about it. But here's what I do want to do. And we're going to start with this next time because it's getting late already. Here's where we're going to start next time. You have homework again. I want you to go back and reread this poem when we hear it for the first time in the Inn at Bree. Right? Um, but in particular, I want you to read the context of that. Like, what is the framework that we're given for that poem? Um, what do we hear? Do you see what I mean? What, what is emphasized? Um, what is the relevance of that poem when we hear it the first time? And how does that change compared to what we hear when we hear this same poem again the second time from Bilbo in this moment? Right? So we will we'll talk about those things at the beginning of next. And we'll go back to the first instance of the poem and we'll look at its context. And then we will uh, come back to this and see what Bilbo is, what the significance of Bilbo's uh, reading of it. Flamifer, yeah, we can, we can talk about, uh, I, I think it is not a coincidence, right? That Bilbo is responding to Boromir with a poem, right? Not just cause it's Bilbo and it's a very Bilbo-ish thing to do. Um, but yeah, uh, you want a riddle? You want some hard words, some more hard words to unravel, Boromir? Since that's all you came here for was the unraveling of hard words. I got some hard words for you, right? Unravel this, right? Um, uh, but but yeah. So on some level, there's clearly a connection between Bilbo's poem uh, and the other poem. But we'll uh, we'll see. Like I said, I I, I want to put it into the context. It really. We've done this. This is the second time this has happened in this book so far, that is to say in the Fellowship of the Ring, um, how, when else did it happen? When have we had this issue before? Where we got a, a poem the second time? 
This is the second time we've had a repeat poem. Yeah, the road goes ever on and on. Absolutely. Um, um, the One Ring poem, yeah, we haven't gotten it yet. Didn't, I don't think we've gotten it more than once. Did we? Quoted it full? Not yet. We will. Yeah, but we haven't yet. Um, okay, so we'll do it again when we get there. But so far, of course, I'm thinking about Bilbo singing his song and Frodo singing the song. And you'll notice how, remember, when we did that discussion, that's a moment that really cries out for this, right? Because of the way in which the two of them are saying, are uttering the same poem as if spontaneous Frodo feels like he's making it up, right? They're uttering the same verse um, in a very similar external uh, uh, context, but in a very different spirit, right? Um, exactly. There was that one key word of difference between Bilbo's version and, uh, and Frodo's version, right? Remember the eager feet versus the weary feet? Um, we, so I want to do the same thing, right? I feel like if you're going to not only insert poems in your story, but you're going to insert the same exact poem word for word twice, we should probably pay attention to that, right? I don't think, uh, Tolkien's done that just to fill up um, extra pages. Indeed, you know, it's the kind of question I could ask almost, I can imagine almost any publisher asking of Tolkien, like, uh, uh, Professor Tolkien, do we absolutely need this poem twice? We, we, we got this poem already, right? We, we really need it again? The whole thing? Word for word? Um, so, um, anyway, let's, uh, come back to the Kurtzimus, Tom Bombadil's rescue poem, Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I would be willing to count that. It's not the same, right? It's not when Frodo sings it, it's not the same as before. Um, but that, I think, is, is perhaps makes it more of an extreme example of what I'm talking about than not an example of what I'm talking about. Sure. Sure. Um, but uh, anyway, okay. So we will start with that next time. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for our book discussion tonight. We're going to head back to uh, 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 to the game, do our field trip uh, today, as always. Um, I appreciate everybody's uh, uh, everybody joining me. I'm going to say goodbye to the folks on Twitter. Um, thanks for... Um, uh, again, yeah, thanks, everybody, for joining me. Uh, and uh, feel free to join us, twitch.tv slash Signamu, uh, for our... Um, uh, for our field trip uh, here tonight. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Good evening. All right. Good evening. I love okay. that we have Bilbo as our cranky old person who's willing to just say what everyone's tiptoeing around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, very good. Okay. okay. Um. It- it's funny. I I always pictured when he said there. I've said it. I always pictured him saying that at someone who said, "Oh, please don't, don't quote quote your right, exactly right. This is not know, time right. and place. You could imagine Elrond or like Glorfindel maybe quietly pulling or him even aside right himself. at the beginning, right to be like <laughs> so 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 Bilbo. Right? If we could not, you know, quote the poem, like it's is there any way we could avoid that and him being like, "Oh yeah, no, I." I under what circumstances would I just bust out with poetry in the middle of this? Uh, uh, I doubt Bilbo would make any promise of the sort. 
Nope. Yeah. Don't promise a thing. Good. Nope. Right. Can, can, I can make you. Trying to stop me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Very good. So we are headed to Angmar, and we decided that this time we took a, I took a, the swift horse from uh, Esteldine, and I think this time we're going to ride up. Uh, okay. Uh, so that we can go through, we can see a little bit more of the countryside uh, on the way up. Um, so, yeah. So let's do that. Um, All right. So let's head up to it. But let's start again from Esteldine. That's still a, a, a perfectly reasonable point to begin. So we can from. swift travel to Esteldine and then ride to the. Um, exactly. Yeah. Oh. We'll, we'll we can collect at Esteldine and uh, ride on horseback from there. Uh, remember, if there are low-level characters, we can um, try our best to keep you alive, but I can't make any absolute promises about that. Yeah, we, we do have quite a few high-level people this time around. Good, so. good. Yeah. Let's see and what I we can do. I think, I'm pretty sure, so sometimes I do oh. like to look at the, um, you know, the mobs and stuff as well, but... So mm-hmm. far, we're going into areas where we've already been. Uh, yes. So I think it's if folks are nicely proactive about taking out the mobs, that'll be good enough. But are there all these empty <laughs> horses riding towards the... Uh, now there's a horse wearing a dress. Oh, there we go. There's it just... There we go. It just had the skirts of that lady, but it didn't have the actual woman or so or the he was, antlers. He was, they were broomsticking. They were broomsticking around. So it was no, just it, was, a pair. it was just a naked horse. Uh, just okay. And now I've got the and invisible. I've never seen broomsticks that. on us. Yeah, it was just the invisible horse, and then the horse had only Greetings. the skirt of the woman who was riding it. I've never seen that. These before. trousers sure are tetchy, aren't they? Adventures in lag. Okay. <laughs> I forget whether it's called broomsticking or Harry Pottering if you're just flying around with no horse. Right. Right. Broomsticking uh, sounds good to me. Yeah. It's, it's more sense. generic, I suppose. Yeah. All right. To O'Hare. However that's pronounced. Yes. Okay. So which route do we want to take? The left-hand pass or the right-hand pass? Oh, you want us to just ride out without the stable? Oh. Uh, yeah, I just want to ride up. I don't, I don't want to take a slow horse. I want to I I, ride. I wonder if they added anything to the gates during the redo, but I don't know. Well, yeah, let's go to the gates. I agree. Because those mm-hmm. gates were really interesting when we did uh, uh, when we did this before. So let's do that again. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, so let's... We might is, see is, references to that again. Here? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's the one that was further to the east, I believe. Yeah, I, I believe that that is correct. Yeah. All right. That's correct. Okay. Sorry, I could war steed, but it's harder for me to look at the landscape when I'm war steeding. The, uh, I actually mess up more on war steeds than I do on regulars. Yeah. Yeah. This is better for your uh, defined fancy stuff. Yeah. Okay, it's, so it's, it's um, almost like you'd have a you'd have you'd like have a Land Rover for the country, and then you'd have like that little three wheelie deal if you're going around <laughs> Oxford. 
<laughs> right. Right. Okay, so... Um, yeah, so one thing I wanted to to ask about while we're while we're riding um uh we have a a wonderful company with us here this evening uh on our little voyage of exploration together um uh, is a question that was sort of raised earlier on is what should our plan be moving forward we set up our plan for rotating we're thinking about we, we we've been talking about this especially since we've been um in Angmar now, um, you know, with its restrictions for moving around, like how you have to, you have to do the, you know, the epic quest levels in order to get past the boundary stones and all those things. Um, and of course it's, it's a, obviously a very difficult place for lower level characters to stay alive, uh, which Mm -hmm. means it's going to be challenging, generally challenging for us to, um, tour around very carefully uh, on Honor where my character is at level uh, for Angmar. Whoa, so. roving threat. Roving threat. Uh, oh, giant over dragon there. in the middle of the dead fields. Right on. Okay, well. Yeah. We're heading towards the dead trees right now until the sky gets all weird and then the gate should be nearby. Okay, I, I can Excuse see the gate in the distance from here. Let me. Oh, yep, I can see it now too. I forgot I have better graphics card now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I don't think the gates changed. So I know that there were a bunch of nope. landscape changes that were made um, in uh, in Angmar. I was curious to see if the gates would have been among them. Hmm. I'm trying to decide if the armor... On the dude on the left mm-hmm. is different. Was it? It looks a little bit more well defined than before. Yeah, it, I definitely think the the iron parts and the stone parts are more defined. Yeah, like the show. It's 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 more differentiated, as you say, between the stone and the and the metal parts. Um, mm-hmm. The glove that we see, like the bottom gauntlet, especially. Mm-hmm. And his sort of shoulder armor there, mm-hmm. both strike yep. me as more detailed, like with the overlapping plates. There, maybe mm-hmm. not. I'm not sure, but I, I think. No, I um, think you're right. I assume this was here before. Yes, I do recall looking at yeah. this before. But, but I'm thinking, there okay, was a man so like, and a woman. And her broken arm? Her arm was broken yep. before, too? Yep, it Pretty was. sure that was there? Yeah. Yep. Um, and he had that weird arm that was sort of twisted in a weird place. Yeah, exactly. The double-jointed arm of the guy is still there. Of course. So now, that I'm of looking the... at, now that I'm looking at it, it looks like there's a piece that dropped out. Of the lady's arm, yeah. You can see uh, her hand of the, of still the guy's sticking arm. to the... the guy's arm. No, oh. the guy's arm. He, how, how he looks like he's oh. still jointed. It looks like there was more to that elbow that fell out. Oh, I see. Right, so part of his arm fell off, which is why it looks awkward. Yes. Oh, well, that's kind of comforting, actually. But it's more uh, defined now. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember noticing anyway the woman's hand on the hilt of the sword, even though like the arm in between is uh, snapped off. Yeah. I don't think we saw it either. The way that we can see her wrist leading up yep. and her hand still grasping it. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember. Also, wasn't it darker here? Didn't the gloom start? Yeah, the gloom should have overtaken us before now. Maybe At the they very least, the, the lighting w- used to be worse. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why it was difficult to see some of the statue. Maybe. Yeah, maybe they just haven't changed it so much as made it more possible to see. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting some dread now. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Heading in. Okay. And Let's this keep, a, part, keep an eye on one the... Yeah. yeah. This part in the camp and everything is we've... This we have explored and there's yep. the statue. We'll give it. Yeah. Katriana asks, uh, is, is this meant to be a sort of a counterpoint to the Argonoth? I think that's a wonderful concept. I definitely Ketriana. think so. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's hard to imagine that the original sculptors, when they were making that, weren't um, weren't thinking of it, you know? Okay, so let's see. It goes with the whole idea of darkness in the first place. It can't create, it can only mock. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, okay. I see, we're seeing more of those buttresses now again. Yeah, On either yeah. S- on either side, yeah, it's more clear what those are. That those are those are framing um, mm-hmm. mechanisms. You know, from I mean, from an architectural standpoint, I mean, not are they uh, connected. No, they're they connect not connected. It. So it's not like it's not like Roman statues where they right. couldn't emulate the Greeks, so they put supports in weird places. Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, good. Um, Okay, which way should we go? Is there are both ways uh, viable here? No, uh, one just kind of. I think we want to go to the right fork. To the right fork over here. Um, no, up ahead. Go. That, we, well, we I, go this way? I, I think this is a dead end. I, I don't is know. A dead if this end. Is or is it just loop I didn't see this on the map. I was just looking at the map. Yeah, I think this is a dead end of the cave closet. Oh, just the cave, huh? Yeah, well, maybe it connects, but it's not on my map. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, Ramjwath, that's where we were last, last time. Right. Looking at all the new undergrowth, looking at all the... So this is flashy. just a, a mostly, just like the landscape cosmetics are sort of different here, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, right, this is just a sort of extra loop in the road. Mm-hmm. It's kind of beautiful. Oh, you can tell that's kind of a statue now, huh? Who? Where? I think. Maybe. I don't know. This thing in, in front middle? of us. Maybe. It's got some different delineation on it, but maybe uh. not. Maybe it's natural. Maybe that's just uh, 
pareidolia on my part. <laughs> It does have a lot of interesting lines. Yeah, yeah. Well, this didn't used to be yep, so rugged, say. right? I mean, I don't like, there think didn't so. used to be all these rocks around. Uh, there were some rocks, but I don't know if it was this rocky. Yeah, I think it's increasingly rocky. Yeah. Okay, we want to go up this path here. And then bear to right at the fork. Okay. All right. Okay. Good job on the uh, good job on the, uh, the creek killing guys. Well done. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's uh, everybody's making it so far. I think. Thanks. Um, all right. I think this whole area is much more beautiful than it used to be. Yeah, this this is new. This is totally new. It's beautiful. All right, bear right, guys. Right. I don't think that, um, right, cause we came out here before. Didn't we come out here before? Yeah, yeah we came out here last week. Mm-hmm. What? At the new oh, and shiny statues. Right. But the left fork is the more terraformed version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is taking us back to the heart of Angmar. Yeah, I, I don't remember those, what we keep calling buttresses, um, being so actively framing these statues before. I really like this. It makes it so mm -hmm. much clearer. Cohesive. <laughs> and it also makes the statues look less like statues and more like a shrine. Altar, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. It definitely looks like uh, like a triptych almost. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, so the three elements shrine. of design. And it, it it definitely I mean those the random, you know, big old metal spikes that you could see, you know, still lurking around various places in the landscape. Um is this the Merivale Valley? Yep. That's the one. Okay. Have they changed it all? Oh, I just realized they put pigeon spikes on the poles. <laughs> oh right. <laughs> Well, you can't be too careful. Yeah. Hmm. It's like they really don't want any sh anyone shinnying up this uh, uh, this pole here. It's been a problem in the past, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. What's with all the scraps of pink cloth? Ah, that implies there's something nearby they're dying it with. I don't know. Um, oh, there's a. It's a banner of some kind. It's got an emblem on it. Dismount here. Looks like a so, flame. Yeah. Or something. Or two spikes or something. 
can't see. It's it's they're all obscured and torn in half. The shape that you can see on this one, where it's like black on orange instead of white on pink, and it's uh-huh. kind of inverted, like it's going the opposite direction. It seems to be the same design. That sort of swoosh, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like a Nike swoosh. Yeah. The spars of a wing. Wait, sorry, yeah, it that? could be. It could be like the two two fingers of a wing, mocking us. Or like, yeah, like talons could be talons. But see, the way that all of these banners, first of all, a there there are so many of them. I mean, they're just Uh everywhere, and b that they're all ripped and tattered and nasty looking. Suggested they don't look. These don't look like banners, like the banner. These look like trophies. Either trophies or like memorials for fallen sisters. Possibly. But even there, you'd think there would be, I don't know, more respect or something. Um, I, maybe I, I that's what these spikes are. They Maybe they're part of their anatomy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess we all mourn in our own ways, but... Uh, yeah, don't judge, man. Yeah, okay. I won't judge, but... Uh, it just seems strange. I mean, of course, like from a distance, it rather looks like, you know, they're washing uh, hung out yeah. all over the place. <laughs> it um, looks like they were all issued a flag and they all assumed that one of the other girls would take better care of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and there do seem to be some what look like nests in some of these trees, like that dip in the middle right there looks like a nest. Um I don't know. I don't know. Can we go... I didn't really mean to get distracted by the Maribel, but where's their... Can can we go inside for a minute? I want to see if we can get any corroboration of this. Might be an instance. We'll have to see. Oh, is it? Maybe. Yep. Glowy thing. Hmm. Oh, you're just going to... Okay. I'm just going to (laughs) see. All right. <laughs> I'm just going to see. Okay, now we go in. Rimpurod. Wow, I don't remember. I've clearly been here before, as it's on my mini-map. But... Mm-hmm. Here, wait. Now, as if you guys are running on ahead and killing folks, which is fine, make sure none of them are wearing anything like that. I want reports if anyone is wearing <laughs> pink garments. Only kill naked. Only kill naked, Mary. <laughs> or just, like... See, okay, hang on. Let's see. But we got no. her coloring got some, fits, but she's not wearing she's got that some at kind all. Of rat. Yeah, she's wearing. She's yeah. her clothes are actually gray. She's pink. Yeah, I don't know. It's like her skin matches. Maybe whatever's uh, giving her skin that pigment is what's used to dye the banner because the color is just too identical. Yeah. I will suck the mirror from your bones, but what are you wearing, honey? <laughs> yes. It's not about what you'll do to our bones. Okay, see, now they're, they are hanging down like banners, right? But okay, hang on now. This, this is what I was looking for. This is why I came in this uh-huh. game. Okay, so look over here. Uh, different banners. Those on the side, those are like banners, right? Those are hung like yes. banners. 
Those are displayed like banners. Um, uh-huh. And these are intact. And they depict a dragon. Yeah, I'm going right. to say, it looks like an eastern dragon. Yeah, yeah. They depict a dragon, so an unwinged dragon. So these are like Glaurung-esque banners, right? Now, are these the banners of the Meravale, or did somebody else live there before they uh, moved in? I don't know. Everything but, else is torn to shreds. Those are brand spanking new. Exactly. Those are maintained like banners, too. Now, I know that the orcs often have raggedy banners, which is fine, mm-hmm. but that's been a kind of a characteristic of orc society, that they don't really seem to care about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and so I'm not going to, you know, rule out the possibility that the Merivale as well are um, just kind of casual about this. But again, oh, <laughs> it was a bat. <laughs> I see. Okay, and again, oh, we've got a, a drained corpse here that I'm standing on. My apologies to the... Oh, oh yeah, giant troll here. Giant troll? Yeah, he's Where? standing on it. I didn't notice. I thought it was a rock. Wait, we're standing on a giant troll? Someone was. Oh. Where everyone... Here. Yeah. 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 Right on. Oh, so they Looks drained like the a... giant troll? Looks like a kappa. Yeah. Is it... Is it... Oh, was it already here? It looks like this was already here, like the Maravel got him. Right. So maybe yeah, the, it does. The dra- maybe the worm belongs to this guy. Well, I wonder... Because I don't I mean, see any of the nests. I don't see any of the Marival nests indicate. And I also see a skin-covered tarp over there, similar to what we've seen in orc and human encampments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This definitely looks like a human encampment that was taken over. Yeah, I agree. The, the, what we see built in here does not suggest, or certainly doesn't prove, that the Marival themselves built it. Uh-huh. So I wouldn't necessarily assume that uh, the dragon banners over here are um, necessarily the Merivale's personal banners. There are dead goblins in here. Mar- oh, right Valion? over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. You're right, Jess. Dead goblins. Uh, as yeah. well. So we've got dead goblins, a dead troll, and dead humans. So we've got some... So- uh, Definite in fighting. Yeah, they're sort of, you know, omnivorous in from an alignment standpoint. And yep, again, gray clothing, pink skin. Um, no, the humans are just the life. standard corpses we see with sort of Freeland clothing. So. Right. Yep, same thing there. Sucking the marrow from our bones, but... You've got okay, plenty, okay. hon. <laughs> yeah. You've done plenty okay. of that already. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, now I'm looking at them as we're going uh, out. Yeah. Oh, look, they're hanging from the ceiling. That's cool. Yeah. I don't think I noticed that. Yeah, the ones that are hanging here. Yeah, they don't really have need for structures on the ground, do they? No. No, so yeah, I think it's pretty clear that they came in. And who are these dudes? Orcs? Yeah. Uh, yeah, orcs. Orcs or half orcs, maybe? Orcs. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, white, definitely like white hand or half work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, interesting. Then, so, within their, I don't know what, den, lair, mm-hmm. whatever that is, uh-huh. um, oh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm playing freeze tag here, apparently. Yeah, we're rubber banding a bit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, nothing that we've seen suggests anything that they've constructed. Are we safe in assuming that these posts and banners were put up by the Maravel themselves? They're in every place that Maravel sort of congregates, so yeah, I'd say so. And the same thing with the pink banners. I think they have the same color banners in all of their settlements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is just from what I remember in uh, Moria and at the oh at the top of Moria too. You mean like you mean the Fang Pit? Uh, the 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 bit where we see the Balrog's body at the top. Oh of oh the oh, up on top of uh, Zeroxigil, yeah yeah. Yeah, Zeroxigil, yeah. thank you. Okay. Um, so I, I think this is just how they decorate. Ow, I like Maybe. that theory. Okay, so hang on, so. Uh, Mm-hmm. Rainegatane, rain, rainegatane, rainegatane. Oh. I don't know how to say that, but anyway, reggaeton, oh. reggaeton, a, eh? no. reggaeton, a. Eh? Uh, anyway, okay. So anyway, this person says maybe the rags hanging down are the same color. The same color of the marabou are decoys. You can't tell at a glance that they are rags and not alive. Um, that's an interesting theory because these pink rags hanging down theory. do like look like them. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I thought of something just now. Um, hmm. Holes in the banners ensure that it's, you're not turning your um, nest into a pinwheel. <laughs> true, true. If those were, right, just, if those were like intact, them? those things right. are, they'd be spinning around like a drill. <laughs> right, right. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, uh, oh, Merlinus, or Merlinus points out that later in the game the banners do change, so this might be this particular um, brood. What right. is the collective noun for Marival? I'd go with brood. That works for me. <laughs> that's, that's a good cool. collective noun. A brood of, of uh, Marival. Um, uh, a clutch. Uh, yeah. Okay. Murder. Okay. Maybe the clothes are stained with the victim's blood. Well, that would also explain the red coloring around them. (laughs) Right, right. No, I think that these tree-like things were definitely constructed by the Merivale because we do see the nests and things up there. Yep, Um, yep. Okay. Oh, it's getting dark. Ooh. Yeah. So we should continue on up this way, right? Uh, let me chin the map. Um, yeah. This way, actually. No. Yeah. Uh, due north. Due north. North. Yeah. Okay. We're heading. Yeah, we gotta head, head north. Head, headed the right way. Okay. All right. I don't. I remember think we want to house. avoid the city full of things again if we want to, but um, this is the. This is like where we, we have a choice. Before. 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is where yeah, we went before. We... This is where we saw the glow pits and stuff like that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, very excited about this, which is looks very different than before. Uh, did you just go in already, or? No, I'm still standing outside. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Okay. Because oh, we, we yep. did see this last, and there's no way through there, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think there's a way through this way. I think we still have to go due north. Okay, so let's keep going then, because we did. That's where we ended last week was over there, so we don't have to see yep. that again. Yeah, that's um, where we came at. Yeah. So let's come back around, because I, I would like to get out to the what is it, Malinhad? Is that what it's? Yeah, the Malinhad. Um, and go back and explore the dwarf place. Okay, so and this is the other this is that city again. Same city. Yeah, we yeah, we gotta go up the ramp here. Yeah, same city. Okay, same we city. Go no, up this ramp. we gotta Yeah, we gotta go no. up uh up around the, the path. Up the hill? Uh, not the Yeah, up the, the switch back up here. Avoid the right. city. Avoid go the city. Go up here in uh north yes. east. Sorry. Northwest, sorry. Ugh, I'm bad at cardinal yeah. directions. Ram Duath really is, I mean, I would not have, I don't remember any, I mean, I didn't dislike Angmar. I, I remember hearing mm -hmm. many people complain about how depressing Angmar was. And I always quite liked it. I mean, like, I always found it kind of stark and, uh, you know, sort of delightfully... Um, Gothic. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, just kind of delightfully appropriate, you know, Um but, uh, wow, yeah, look at just how that looms up at the head of the path. Yeah, that, the that really sells side. it. <laughs> With the it sunset really behind does. it, even. Ooh, yeah. some thunder and lightning. Very noise. Yeah, and the way that the, the stone has been carved out, very, very shrine-like. Um, I'm a bit of a Pollyanna. I can't think of any place in Middle Earth where I'm just kind of like, oh, no, not that place again. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, but, um, cool, all right, let's, let's head out towards the melon hunt again. But anyway, what I was saying was, even, you know, though I, I, I never disliked the landscape of, uh, of Angmar, I, I don't remember ever being in a part of Angmar that made me say... Oh, this is beautiful. This, yep. You know. Oh, but that wasn't on the map. <laughs> it's so, a sheer oh, this drop. Is right, this is the sheer drop down into that pit. Yeah. Yeah. With the now pink fire, which was not pink before. Yeah. This is the hit. This is the hole I fell in. Yeah. Last yeah. time. Oh, people are jumping in. So. <laughs> yeah, we can. Uh, we can. We can head through this way. I suppose. Let me know if you die. No, no death. Just a, a, limping. a, a brief limp. <laughs> all of us just limping. <laughs> Do you think like they're burning something the special to make this pink smoke? The fact that the um, land all around, you know, the ground all around is... Uh, yeah. Merivale. Merivale, yeah. Been a pink kind of day. Merivale banners, yeah. I'm I'm sure there's an the element that burns pink. I just can't think of it right pink. now. No, I think it's just yeah. the lighting we're in, maybe. There are this actual pink flames, hole. though. 
Unbelievable. Huh. All right, let me check my handy dandy spectroscope here. Yeah. When? Okay. Did there used to be more goblins around here? But I suppose maybe people have taken care of that problem. Uh, lithium and rubidium burn hot pink. Oh, there we go. So they're all really happy right now. Right. Okay, right. So this is the way we came in. All right, so we're headed back out now. Yeah. The abandoned stable that where there is no stable master. That's just cruel and mocking. Right, exactly. Making us and long for stable the master. Beautiful sulfur pits. Let's head around. I actually, actually hmm? I remember we close? did some exploration in here. Let's, let's, we've got a, a palisade, and mm-hmm. okay. This is where we found the mockery of the Gondor Court with the twisted tree. Yes, that's right. I remember that. Yes, the twisted tree. Right, right, right. Okay, and we've got one of the statues, but without... Is this one of the statues that kills you? If you have another uh, cost? I think it has a gloom effect. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's going to do some pretty bad damage over time. I'm yeah. just stepping away yeah. from there for now. So we've got the tents which match the tents in Alghair, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And we've got the old Angmarim walls. Yep. Evil Eldritch points and everything. Yeah. And... Yep. Here's the twisted tree. Here's the... Okay, now... I remember making jokes about, uh, like, apartment buildings set into the wall here overlooking the, <laughs> the courtyard of the tree. Yeah, I don't think I yeah. would make those now. Doesn't it look like they've converted them into walls? Maybe? And by they, I mean the developers when they redid. Anything. Yeah. This now just looks like a bare corridor. Or not corridor, courtyard. A bear court. Yeah. And barracks come to that. Yeah. We've got the palisade, the newer wooden palisades, which seem to be of goblin or orcish construction. That is, that's got some lightning. Yeah. I don't see any, um, any evidence. Boy, more pink. We're getting all the insidious pink today. You know, here's the, Sort of Pink is an evil color. Look at Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. True enough. Oh, oh, man. Yeah, I don't see any evidence of occupation now at all. It's no, just yeah, walls. yeah. Wouldn't have socks in it from that window. Yeah. Yeah, it looks um, like they've been bricked up. Up in the walls? Yeah, it used to, it looks you could see like what used to be windows with the 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 damage underneath them have all been bricked up with new bricks. Mhm. Yeah. Whatever. Maybe. Maybe this was originally a dwelling, but the hmm. the stains I'm... under what used to be a window cell definitely sort of sell that this this used to be a lived-in area. You see those little, little 
little U-shaped brown water right. stains, you get those okay. under windowsills because that's where water collects. Right, right. I can but buy there's that. nothing now. I can buy that. Who bricked it up and why? Maybe it was bricked up when the former occupants all fled. Perhaps. Yeah, that's the thing I don't get. It's like, why would you brick them up and it could serve as a barracks? Right. Or right. maybe it just wasn't usable and they needed to fortify the inside, you know, like bulwark it. Right. <laughs> and someone's on fire. It's appropriate. Okay. It was me. I'm Drew's fire. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like the. Whoa. And now the darkness has changed. It's now green. Wow. Yeah. It's okay, everything. So everything heading, over here is kind of green and swimming pooly looking. Yeah. So I'm just. I'm heading into the mountain head just to see if I can see any changes. That jump out at me. There's probably going to be lots of obvious things that I don't notice. It's been so long since I spent any time here. Now, these huts, were these huts always here? Yep. That's where the goblins that uh, tro patrol these areas live. Okay, because they're adorable, these huts. Yeah. They look like Ewok huts. They really do. I love the, like, multi-level effect, right? A little yep, path yep. going down in in the middle. No, but seriously, um, like, if these are goblin-made, they're the most adorable things goblins have ever made. Well, goblins are good at making stuff. They are, but they don't usually make cute things. Now, not that this yep, is. Yeah, but they live in a cave. There's not a lot of. There's not a lot of wood in a cave. This might be the That's first time true. they've had a chance to have the materials they really wanted. I don't yeah, think goblins. You're right. They're like high-rise nice. Yeah, this is like eggs. It is. The two organized. High-rise. Yeah, they, they look at the size of the doors too. This it's not Enormous. really scaled for goblins. It's not. Now, sometimes people make oddly scaled things, like the stone of Iraq, for instance. But um, <laughs> they. The, the lines are so clean, though, on the outside. Like, they normally, they're good at making things, but their sense of aesthetics is usually not. Yeah. Like, this ramp, for instance. This ramp looks goblin-made. Oh, yeah. Right? It's all jaggedy. It's like plates of metal all welded together to make a ramp. Um, uh-huh. Okay, so, like, that's, that goblins would do that. So we but think it's... there was an architect and the builders, and those two were separate. Yeah, I think they must have taken these over. And maybe they they probably built this ramp. Maybe it was one of the more advanced human civilizations, either in, enthralled or uh, willing participants in this campaign. Maybe. We don't see anybody else here besides, like, in the greater vicinity of a yurt. Um Again, I love the uh, Matt. That image. I think we see these again. In, is just fantastic. I think we see these again in Karn Dune for some of the quests as well. Okay. So yeah. 
No, just like the, the, the smoothness of the outside, the way that those boards are laid and the neatness of the rivets and things, right? Yeah. I mean, it just, it doesn't say, say goblin to me. Again, like the ramp does say goblin to me. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that does follow with what we saw with Ram Juath as well. We had people overseeing other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, directing them, move these machines this way, keep building that thing, keep cutting those trees down. Right, right. So I, okay. I highly believe that these goblins here were asked to make these things along someone else's specifications. Right. Or they just found them, right, and killed the occupants. And Just by the look of this pond, though, I don't think structures survive here very long. Right. So you think they're more recent constructions? Yeah, I, I get the feeling like these might be some sort of, um, like, um, oh, what, uh, alkaline-looking things that would eat you Maybe. up. Or Maybe. cause you to pass out if you stay too long. Hey, I'm going to, um, so I'm going to head down towards the dwarf city. Uh-huh. It's starting to get late, and I want to, I, I did want to get to the dwarf city. We could probably pick up there next time, but. Cool, cool. Um, I don't know. I don't the water, water does look inviting, though. I always want to. I always really feel does. like I want to go swimming after looking at these. It looks very much like a chlorine pool. It's a very similar shape. <laughs> oh, I wonder if there's pool. chlorine in them. Actually, well, like I said, I think these are like some sort of salt or some sort of alkali deposits on the outside. Dude, did somebody just one shot ancient iron scale there? Yep. Uh-huh. I wasn't kidding when I said we got the high beast with us. Mm-hmm. True enough. Oh, yeah, I thought that uh, swamp lurker was somebody's pet, and then it attacked us. Nope. <laughs> Him's not a friendly natives. bush. Yeah. Okay. All right. I could have sworn I killed a worm here before. Oh, sorry, we're not quite as far east as I thought we were there. Yeah, it's I th- not I quite we there. I thought we approaching the entrance up there, but we're not yet. Not yet, no. You want to keep going or call it a night? Oh, there's the... No, it's okay. We can... We can make, we, we'll, yep, there's the... There's the line. Now we find out who actually did the deed or just who thought That's they right. did. <laughs> did you do your homework or did you not do your homework? Well, I have so many alts, it's definitely one of those I'm pretty sure I did it. I'm yeah. almost positive I did it. I still have book six, chapter seven quest up here on my quest finder so uh, I'm feeling confident. <laughs> do you feel lucky, Professor? <laughs> <laughs> no spikes here, though. They didn't add the spikes. The buttresses. Yeah. Well, this These is it's more of a gateway. Statues. Maybe maybe it interfered with the psychic link of the statues. Right. Right. Whew. Okay. Got past the doom there. Uh, oh, okay. Now doom free. Okay. Yeah. 
starting starting to feel better. I think I'll go for a walk. Right. Whoa. <laughs> oh, I ever, that's I don't think I ever noticed this little this little caldera up here before. It's full of turtles. <laughs> full of turtles. Caldera full of See? turtles. Oh man. Caldera full of turtles. Caldera full of turtles. Oh, I think that Frumius Bujum is clearly right. Uh, the reason for the difference there in the uh, uh, the architect, you know, the the quality of the building is that those were uh, a goblin resort towns. Uh, they built the nicer buildings along the waterfront, so uh, that's why they're more attractive than standard goblin buildings. Club gob. I can totally go along with that. <laughs> well, we got. Well, the thing is, we got missed. We got some dwarves here. Maybe they, they came from the same place. Yeah, never. I know. just got killed by a dwarf. Oh, no. Hey, here we are. You just got killed by a dwarf? Yeah, guard answer just killed me. I'm like, wait, what? What? I know, he's supposed to be friendly. One of the town guards just up and slew you? Yeah, just... one of the quest givers. <laughs> wow, you really didn't do what he wanted, huh? Yeah. Apparently okay. not. I guess they have pretty know. steep penalties for... That right yeah. now. Man. Oh yeah, yeah, the one with the guard captain I feel like I got off easy with the whole walking tree business at the end of the day. What okay. do you need? Alright, here we are. Okay, and but we'll explore more completely next time, but quick first impression. Long beardy, clearly. Nouveau long beard construction. <laughs> yeah, this is the O three car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Long beard yep. and Yeah. This has this has post Thorin's return long beard written all over it. Oh yeah. Clearly. Clearly. Okay. Alright. We'll explore them more next time. I should let folks go. It's getting awful late. Uh, thanks right. everybody for joining us uh, uh, fun to continue our uh, brief re-explore and then we'll get a little bit more detailed as we uh, as we get back to the places where we left off where we interrupted our uh, Angmar uh, uh, exploration before thanks for everybody coming along with us and uh, we will see you guys next week Hi. bye everybody Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.